Colossians chapter 1, or open your Bible app or to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Thank you so much, Francis. That was fantastic. Really encouraged me. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Paul's writing to the Colossians, and he's trying to get them to understand the supremacy of Jesus over everything in their lives, their external life and their interior life. And he's showing them how they participate in the work of God, how they participate in the grace of God in this world. And so he says in verse 1, Since then you have been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all. And is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if you have, if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. I heard some of that today. Wasn't that awesome to hear the gratitude in your hearts coming out of your mouths? Did anyone else have a a chill, a moment when you were singing, Great is Thy Faithfulness? Yeah, I did. So awesome. Thank you for that. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
Would you read verse 17 with me again? And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Last week, we focused on that front side of this. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And this week, we want to focus on the the latter part of this, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever you do, do it giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever work you put your hands and mind to, do it. Do it in such a way that you do it with gratitude, that you do it with thankfulness to God the Father through Jesus. I know in our setting today, gratitude has been reduced in some ways or moved back. It has been sanitized as a way to provide yourself with mental health. That the attitude of gratitude will make you healthy. I believe that. That people who are thankful people are really nice to be around. Do you know, parents are really anxious about their children learning to say thank you, especially in our North American Canadian culture. Um, You may see a parent with their child and the child has been given something and the parents like, say thank you. Say thank you. Did you have a parent who did that to you? Say thank you. Some, some of you didn't because it wasn't actually built in and part of the, the cultural skit um, memes or cultural uh, scripts that your setting had. But in our society, saying thank you is sort of an expected thing. It's sort of weird. Like I had a friend, I went to dinner with him, we're having dinner, and he's like, one of the things that really bothered me tonight with our dinner is that you kept telling the waitress thank you. We, we don't tell the waiters and waitresses thank you. That's just their job. I'm like, well, I'm thankful that they're doing their job. Aren't you? Didn't we have a good dinner? And, and she didn't spill the coffee or the drink on you. Aren't you thankful? No, they're just doing their job. But in our setting, thankfulness is, is one of those scripts of what it is to be a good person, be a thankful person. Whether that's right or not, it is something that we find in the Scripture. That over and over through this very text, as Paul's trying to show an interior world that's lived out in an exterior way, he's like, be thankful, and be thankful, and have gratitude. Be thankful. So if you're thankful, you actually appreciate something. You appreciate someone. It's the most basic and foundational moves in relationship to appreciate someone to give thanks for someone. When we think about the theocracy of work, which I introduced to us last week through the work of Carolyn Chen. Carolyn Chen wrote uh, Work, Pray, Code. Work, Code, Pray. And in it, she researched um, businesses that are in the Silicon Valley. And she's trying to understand what's going on in that setting. And she says, there's a theocracy of work. There's a domination of work that says, work will save you. Work will make you a better and worthy person. Work is what you do to be a moral person. She says, this is tectopia. Isn't that a great word? Tectopia creates a problem, though. It creates a spirit 
of inequality. When a society's social material and spiritual rewards are monopolized by work, those who don't have the right skills, education, age, and race get locked out from living, quote-unquote, productive, fulfilling, and meaningful lives. I mean, how many times did your parents say to you, you know you need to get a job so you can make a contribution to society? And when we get that locked in to work, then we actually create an unequal society. This is difficult for us because we know that whatever we do, whether in word or deed, we do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, including our work, including our studies, yet we do not worship it. We worship God. And so even in our work, one of the ways we resist the theocracy of the engineering department, the theocracy of the psychology department, the theocracy of your lab, the way we resist it is by being thankful to God the Father who gave it. From God the Father who engineered it. From God the Father who breathed a spirit into all humanity. To God the Father who says, this world is my lab for love. The way we break the theocracy of these systems is by being thankful to God. Because gratitude, as an attitude, actually does something to us. It causes us first to recognize, I've been given something. I've been given a lot. I came to university, or I came into this job, not just by virtue of myself, but by relationship to a whole lot of other people. I am not just a self-made person. Gratitude forces me to recognize my relations and what I've been given. The lucky breaks I had. The person who wrote a really good reference for me. The person who picked up a phone and said, hey, uh, you know that person who applied for the job? They're, they're actually a pretty good person. I think we'd like to have them work in our company. The person who's paying the bills for you to be here. The person who actually buys the products of your company and your work. They're still part of the picture. And the attitude of gratitude forces us to say, I am not a self-made person who can stand just by themselves. I am interdependent with others, if not also dependent. The scripture says in Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. In vain you rise up early and stay late, toiling for the food to eat. For it is God who grants sleep to those he loves. Oh, there's a check. There's a little balance. There's a word that can bring a work-life balance that says, oh, there's actually someone else in the equation. This is not a closed system. 
where it's just me, 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 me. God is at work in this world. In fact, the the writer of Psalm 90 gave this prayer. Oh, may the favor of the Lord God Almighty rest on us. Establish the work of our hands, O God. Establish the work of our hands. Ultimately, it's not just up to me. Second thing that giving thanks does is that giving thanks has us turn to the God who is our Heavenly Father. To turn to God who is our Heavenly Father. This is that word of repentance that reminds us that we actually turn towards the Heavenly Father, towards a God who is, as James says, who is giving us good things. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. And so our move in thankfulness is to give thanks to the one who's given so much to us, our Heavenly Father. A few years ago, I was having coffee with a friend at uh, Bean Around the World, there at the old barn. And uh, we sat down and we started talking and she had visited church and she was like, I really don't know much about church. I don't know much about God. I'd like to know. So I started a thing with her called the walk through the gospel. And I drew out the walk through the gospel where I talk about how Jesus is the center of the Christian message with the cross and the four relationships we've been created for. You know this, a relationship with, a relationship with, a relationship with people and the stuff of earth. And so we went all the way through this. And, and finally, I, I asked her, she she's a, was a doctor who came from China to Canada for another degree. And she, she had an incredible resume. And I asked her, asked her Dr. Juan, what, what did you like the most in the walk through the gospel? And she said, I liked this. And it's the first quadrant, just the first idea that we were created for a relationship with God. And she said, almost with tears in her eyes, she said, all my life, I've carried a very big burden that every achievement in my life was just up to me. It was my achievement, my good work, my hard work, and that's all it was. And if I don't keep being able to achieve, it's all going to fall apart. She says, that's the best news I've heard and I understand today, is that God created me for relationships. That's what generates thankfulness. You see, that is actually a move of repentance. Repentance is the basic movement in Christian lives. I've been letting uh, Trevor Hudson be a mentor for me. Trevor is a minister in South Africa. He's um, a Methodist minister. 
And he spent time with Dallas Willard, and he's also done a lot with Ignatian studies. And one of the things that he's, he writes about is repentance. And he says, repentance is just changing d- direction. Listen to this. Repentance is the rerouting of our lives on the basis that there is another kind of life available to us in Christ, and then taking steps, practical steps, to enter and grow in this divine life. Gratitude towards God is actually a kind of movement of repentance that says, it's not just me, it's you. And so then we turn towards God. Now, this is hard for us if our imagination about God is that God has been waiting all this time for us to turn so that he could give us a very stern look. You don't want to go towards that. You want to run away. And so the testimony of Scripture is that though God might be stern, he does invite us, and when we turn... He welcomes us. He is the loving father who welcomed the prodigal. Come. He is the loving father who called out to his angry son. Come and sit at the table with me. Come. And so gratitude for some of us is an act of repentance. It's a movement from self-righteousness. It's a movement from entitlement to gratitude. God, I didn't deserve this. I wasn't entitled to this, but you gave it to me. When we're entitled, we will be angry when we don't get what we want. The third thing that we can recognize about this kind of giving thanks, this thanksgiving, is notice how Christocentric his phrase is here. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's such a strange phrase. Giving thanks to God the Father through him, through Jesus. It's almost as if we're to recognize that That the one who ushers us into the very presence of the almighty, holy, creating God is Jesus himself. And so I'm giving thanks to God because of what Jesus has done. It's in this movement of giving thanks that we truly do worship. Because we know we are connected to Jesus, not on the basis of what we've done or how good we were or weren't but on the basis of how good Jesus is and has been and will be. That Jesus' life and death and resurrection is what brings us into the presence of God. Recently, Dr. James Houston was interviewed by Sean Beckett, Sean's a student here at Regent, and Dr. Houston helped start Regent College. He's 100 years old. You can pull up his blog and register for a time to go interview him if you've never talked to someone who's 100 years old. And you can make a schedule, and you can go over and interview him. 
And uh, Sean says, you know, there's some hours in the day where he's more lucid than at others at 100 years old. But Sean asked him a question. He said, I have a friend who's making a complex decision, and I'm wondering what this person should do as a parent and about what to study. Do you have any advice for this person? And listen to what James Houston says at 100 years old. Yes, we have to select priorities at the stages of our lives. And the first stage is if you're a parent, your priority is your children because progenetically they are your future and your future is their future. That's number one. Your second stage is your studies because they are equipping you for your own progress, but they are number two, not number one. But even your studies are determined by being called to be missional, to be a missionary in the most difficult of cultures, which is the relapse and failure of Christendom that needs to be revived. And so what is urgent in whatever we do is, how does this help revive the lethargy of worship in this culture? Nothing is more important made in the image and likeness of God that he created us to be his worshipers, to give him praise. He's a hundred. And because of sin, we will remain handicapped until we die. And then our potency will be fully released to worship him in spirit and truth eternally. And so as an old man, I have no fear of death. I embrace death as the opportunity to be fully human. I'm not yet. The potency has still to be fulfilled. And so, as a Christian who comforts the elderly by saying to them, don't be afraid of death. It's the gateway into eternal potency as a human being. He says his missional life in that home is to care for the elderly and prepare them for death, for the entrance into the fullness of life. Wow. Gratitude can turn you towards the Heavenly Father so you live a life like that. You don't need to wait till you're a hundred to have that kind of wisdom. You can have it today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would cause us to be a people of great gratitude. Lord, we know that it's possible to be a religious person. We know it's possible to turn towards you and move our mouths and still have unrepentant hearts. Like the Pharisee you spoke of, we could be like one who says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. But Lord, we want to be like the one who says, oh Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. We repent of our lack of gratitude towards you. We repent of our entitlement. We repent, Lord, of the hardness of heart that makes this life and world be just about us.
are up to us. Lord, we repent of the system that we are swimming in here that says you're only a valuable person if you work hard and play hard. Instead, we turn our lives completely to the one who lived a full and joyful life, to Jesus, who is your gift to us. And we pray that now his spirit would fill us, that we might be filled with enormous gratitude at the incredible gift of his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and the promise of his return.